beautiful people and welcome to the Childhood Rising podcast. This space and this business have been intentionally designed to bring together an empowered collective of parents, educators, carers, and other folk who are all journeying alongside children. Through this podcast and our support services, we aim to raise the well-being of the whole child, as well as the adults who walk alongside them. We talk about trauma-informed caregiving, play, and the importance of attachment, while also not being afraid to cover the difficult but deeply reflective conversational topics too. If you too believe in the inherent wholeness, competence, and contribution children have to offer this world, then you're in the right place. Welcome back to Childhood Rising, the podcast. Today we have Lauren joining us and Lauren is a pediatric speech pathologist and owner of telehealth of the telehealth private practice Stutter Free Kids. From her 14 years experience supporting children who stutter, Lauren has developed a unique integrative approach to stuttering therapy. Combining her speech pathology training with a holistic understanding of the key foundations for optimal childhood development and the unique needs of children who stutter, Lauren teaches families how to enhance speech therapy outcomes for children and help them to speak stutter-free. So thank you and welcome to you, Lauren. Thanks so much, Hannah. It's really great to be here. So today, Lauren is going to be sharing and talking with us about stuttering and high sensitivity specifically. And I'll be honest, I know very little about stuttering. and I also intentionally did not go out and read heaps on it prior to recording this episode with you because I know that there's likely lots of other parents and you know possibly educators out there who also know very little about stuttering and um, yeah I think that this podcast episode is really going to help to shed some light on stuttering for lots of people who are new to it like me but also hopefully provide some support and practical guidance for parents who might already be navigating stuttering with their own children um, I do, however, yeah. have, have a daughter who is highly sensitive, so I'm very interested in the link here and sort of how you navigate specializing that in your work. I think that's going to be, yeah, really fascinating. Yeah, that is. I'm really glad to know that. I think um, stuttering is one of those things that unless it's happening to your family, it's it's easy to sort of not have any knowledge of it. Um, it is quite niche, uh, but when it does occur in your family, it ends up being, you know, all you think about yeah, I can imagine so. So let's start at the total basics then and the, the real fundamentals. And can you start by explaining for us what stuttering is? Absolutely. So stuttering very basically refers to unintentional repetition or prolongation of a sound or a word and that impacts the flow of a child or an adult's speech. So it might be the repetition of a single sound like ball. It might be the repetition of a whole word like where, where, where's dad. It might even be the stretching out or the prolongation of a sound like my car or it could be a block where no sound, no word, no air is able to actually come out. And then sometimes that will be forced through with a lot of um, effort and tension and then sometimes even body movements with it. Yeah, right. Okay. So how does the stuttering develop? 
So it typically begins in children around the age that their language is starting to really burst and explode. So usually in those preschool years, the youngest I've seen it occurring in is around around you know just before the second birthday, but it's typically somewhere between sort of three to five that we will see stuttering occurring. Um, and it is predominantly genetic in origin. So there's still a lot of unknowns when it comes to stuttering. Um, there's not a huge amount of information for us on exactly why it happens. Yeah. However, However, it does definitely have um, a genetic tendency and that tends to um, seems to be impacting on the neural speech processing of the part of the brain that um, controls those motor timing and motor planning neurons. So uh, we also know that complexity and overload impact severity and that's where the link with high sensitivity is most uh, visible. Yeah, okay. So that's that's the other part of this conversation is there's this high high sensitivity aspect that you sort of specialize in. Absolutely. Maybe, again, if we start with like the basics of that, because there will be people listening who are completely new to the idea of high sensitivity as well. How would yeah. you define high sensitivity in children? So highly sensitive children experience increased central nervous system sensitivity to physical, emotional, or social stimulus. So it's an evolutionary temperamental trait and it's present from birth. And it just means that the nervous system is actually registering and trying to process more information from the environment than non-sensitive people. Um, So it means that highly sensitive children or adults are more easily overstimulated and overwhelmed by their inner world and their external environment. So they tend to feel emotions more strongly they tend to experience sensory information more strongly and this information is easily um, able to overwhelm their system yeah okay you mentioned there being like this genetic component to stuttering so with the families that you're working with do you see lots of instances where the parents experience stuttering as a child and then their children are experiencing stuttering now as well It's definitely something I do see. Um, It is more common in male than female. Mm -hmm. So it is often, you know, dad or an uncle or a grandfather who has experienced stuttering. And um, it is interesting, though, because for some children, stuttering will just resolve on its own without intervention. And so a lot of the time families don't know that there is actually a, a, you know, grandfather or an uncle or even dad who stuttered until they their child starts stuttering and then they backtrack and go and ask grandma or go and ask somebody in the family if there's any history and they go, oh yeah, you stuttered until you were five or six. Or, you know, we hear these um, sort of genetic lineages sort of popping up when we go investigating for them. Yeah. And interesting. And what about that high sensitivity component too? In your um, experiences and things you've seen as well as, you know, professional knowledge and things you've read, do you see any sort of shared genetic family history component to that so like children yeah almost without fail if I am sitting in front of a highly sensitive child one of those parents is also highly sensitive yeah yeah Yeah. that one I see even more strongly than the uh, genetic um, presence of a stuttering history yeah absolutely so what's this link between being highly sensitive and stuttering Yes. So this is where it gets really interesting because if you have a child that's stuttering or if you've ever, you know, spoken to somebody who stutters, you might notice that whenever there's anything that is going to um, create complexity in their system, we're going to see more stuttering. So it might sound like, you know, a child who was put on the spot and asked a sudden question, they're going to 
more than likely stutter if that is something that they are experiencing or um, if they're tired, if they're hungry, if they're upset about something, if there's some kind of load that is um, on their system, whether that's emotional or physical or environmental or social, we'll likely see more stuttering in those moments of extra load. And so for a highly sensitive child, their system is so much more likely to get overloaded just by their everyday environment um, that their brain is already flooded with so much information that just things that would be, you know, potentially, un, you know, unimportant or, you know, not significant to a person who isn't um, highly sensitive. For a highly sensitive person, they are a big thing and that creates the overload that then exacerbates that already present genetic stutter. Yeah. 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 So it's like the stuttering is almost like symptom isn't the word that I'm looking for, but it's like this outcome from being highly sensitive, right? It's like. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's not the high sensitivity isn't causing the stuttering. Um, it is highly correlated though. So, um, you know, high sensitivity is present in around 20 to 30% of the population as um, as a typical percentage, what we find in the stuttering population is it's somewhere between sort of 85 to 90% of yeah, children wow. highly sensitive. So it's much, much higher and almost all of them. Yeah. What sort of the process that you go through in establishing whether that child is highly sensitive? Yeah. So there's lots of different um, little diagnostic tick and flick type questionnaires that um, you can use to find out. There's one that I um, rely on quite heavily, which is has been created by Elaine Aaron, who was the woman who initially started this research into high sensitivity and coined the term highly sensitive person. And she has a, a lovely website where there's a, a test for an adult and a test for a child. So that can be the first easiest way to kind of get an idea of whether you or your child are highly sensitive. Um, I have since you know, looked at a lot of these different testing mechanisms and gathered the information um, within a membership that I use, Fluency Foundations, where I have my own testing that I now help families through to be able to find out where their child sits on that sensitivity spectrum. But I really do like Elaine Aaron um, and her websites as a very good place to start. Amazing. Yeah. You, you really, I can hear the passion that you have for this topic and supporting these families like what made you become so interested and passionate about supporting specifically highly sensitive children and their stuttering yeah so it developed um pretty organically over many years so I've been working as a pediatric speech pathologist uh for close to 14 years and started out as a generalist as we all mostly do mm -hmm. uh, and then you know working with families and working with children who stutter for a number of years uh, there were consistent traits that I was seeing with these children and with these families and there was also a consistent difficulty in the doing of you know this stuttering therapy for many families where we would have success for a while and then something would stop that success you know we'd see improvement and then something would happen and we'd see a regression. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily what I was taught when I went through university or when I went through, you know, secondary trainings around stuttering that we would see this level of inconsistency and it really bothered me <laughs> and it really bothered me the fact that it was distressing the families I was working mm -hmm. with. And so started to just keep extra data on these kids and what was happening around the times we were seeing these spikes in stuttering. 
just started keeping a list, just a, you know, qualitative list of information. Um, And what I started to see, and I was at that time just finding out that I myself am highly sensitive Mm. and looked at these two lists and went, hang on a second, this is the same thing. (laughs) We're looking at all of these things that are creating uh, increase in stuttering spikes are all the things that typically highly sensitive people and highly sensitive children find more overstimulating and overloading and just started to put the pieces together. So I started then um, getting all the families I was working with to take a high sensitivity test as the first thing we did and um, looked, you know, for all the research I could. And there's not a huge amount. There's, you know, maybe one study out of the States where another clinician has done the same sort of testing of her um, stuttering uh, case load and found around 84% of her um, stuttering clients were also highly sensitive, but there wasn't much out there. Um, but as I started to kind of take more and more data in my own caseload, I was seeing it was actually higher than that. It was more like 90% of my yeah. caseload were highly sensitive. And it made so much sense of why, you know, the outcomes that we were working towards were so hard to get and why for some that small little 10 to 20% of kids, we could get there easily. And then the rest was so variable because they're so impacted by their environment. And in speech therapy, we're typically just working on one area of overload, right. which is language, speech and language. We go, okay, we'll, we'll contain that and we'll make that nice and consistent so the child is going to be less likely to stutter. But we then were not looking at all the other ways that those children were overloaded. They were overloaded emotionally and needed, you know, strong connections and attachments. And they need to make sure that their sensory system isn't overloaded. And what's their, you know, physical health like? And what are their airways like? And what's their sleep like? And this whole picture suddenly unfolded and went, okay, we're only looking at this one tiny piece of the puzzle. Of course, we're seeing inconsistent results because there's so much variability for these kids that we're not addressing. Yeah, and I love that because, you know, that first approach you're talking about where you're just addressing the language is almost like compartmentalizing the child where it's like they, the human experience is not like that, is it? We're always more complex than that in any given moment. So I really appreciate the fact that you're factoring that into how you're working with um, these children and these families. So I imagine then that you approach fluency and supporting stuttering a lot differently with a highly sensitive child as opposed to a child who doesn't present as highly sensitive. What might that difference look like? Well, actually it's shifted the way that I work with stuttering altogether. So I kind of think of it like our highly sensitive kids are the canaries in the coal mine. They're the ones that are going to let us know first when a system is broken. And they're the ones that are going to go, this is not going to work for me. And therefore that system has to change. But that doesn't mean that our non-sensitive kids don't also need that attention and care. They're just the ones that are a little bit more robust to be able to withstand it. But that doesn't mean they're going to thrive within it. Um, So it's actually changed the way that I do stuttering therapy and the way that I educate and support families to approach um, helping their children through stuttering across the board, whether they're sensitive or not. Amazing. That's so good. I'm sure there's lots of parents listening who are resonating with so much of what you're sharing, even if it's just the highly sensitive component and they're not experiencing stuttering with their children, but I'm sure there are some listening who may be. So what are some simple tools or techniques that they could be using at home to support fluency with their highly sensitive child? 
Yeah, so I think the very first thing that I recommend when a family has a child who is stuttering is to, first of all, let them know that they don't need to wait. One of the very biggest Mm -hmm. messages that gets um, told to families through, you know, other sources is, oh, it's fine, just wait and see. You know, you don't need to do anything straight away. My child started and then it went away. Or, you know, there's lots of this sort of um, confusing advice as to whether they need to do anything or not. Um, So my first recommendation is always don't wait and see. We don't want to leave a highly sensitive child who is vulnerable to their environment and vulnerable to, you know, potentially negative experiences around communication and around how they communicate and how they're viewed in the world. We don't want to leave that vulnerability out there without any support or guidance. So even if we're not going to jump straight into doing intensive speech therapy, which is often not necessary, I always recommend some kind of support and think of it more like support and see rather than wait and see. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where, you know, a lot of what I do is around providing that kind of intermediate interim support because that isn't often available for families it's either you start speech therapy or you don't Um, and I feel like there's this huge gap in between of we actually need to be doing something for these families and to help them to know how to really understand their child's temperament and how to identify what's making their nervous system um, you know what's soothing their nervous system what's over exciting the nervous system how do we actually really get to know what that child's true needs are so that we can support them and then you know we can add on top of that you know strategies that are more language or speech based but I feel like you know the foundation of fluency really is in the neurology and how we're supporting that child's temperament so um, understanding if they are highly sensitive identifying the things that typically are distressing to them whether that's you know, sensory things like loud noises or, you know, sticky hands or, you know, a tag in their clothing, which is, you know, scratching them or whether that's new experiences and, you know, going to a place for the first time without any preparation or whether that's, you know, attachment and connection based, whether that child actually needs more um, connection and attachment and, you know, to be closer to that, um, their caregivers for longer and giving them time to warm up to new people and new places. You know, it could be anything that that child is going to need and we need to be the detective to figure out what that is. You know, when we're talking purely speech and language strategies, there's simple things we can do, things like slowing down our rate of speech when we're talking to a child, getting down to their level, um, being sure not to um, try and correct their speech. So telling them things like stop or slow down or take a breath typically isn't helpful. And especially for highly sensitive children can be quite um, upsetting and negative for them. So we want to avoid anything like that and instead, you know, soften our body, soften our face, show our child that we're listening to them take a deep breath ourselves and help to co-regulate with them when they are stuttering and then to gently or um, naturally sort of repeat back to them words or phrases that they've said that are stuttered. So if they've come to you and said, where, 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 where's my car? take a big breath and come down to their level. Hmm, where is your car? Repeating that sentence back to them so they can hear it fluently and then continuing on with that conversation in a natural way. So, you know, those are just some really simple speech and language-based activities that, you know, you can use at home. But um, a big portion of what I do and a big portion of how I educate families one-on-one or in my membership is this understanding of the foundations of fluency is really around that temperament and neurological well-being. Mm, and I mean, I see that in a lot of the work that I do too, that when parents are able to understand their children on a much deeper level, 
you know, without these strategies and techniques that already starts to shift the way that we're engaging with that child. Um, so yeah, that's a huge component, isn't it? And I really appreciate that you mentioned not putting off seeking support. Um, because, you know, when you mentioned before about a lot of the time, this can just resolve on its own and, you know, you might not have been aware that, uh, other family members had stuttering when they were a child because it did just resolve. Like, I think that sort of brings this tendency to wait and watch and wait and see. Yes. Um, yeah. So I appreciate that you mentioned that it is still worthwhile seeking support even in those early days when it's sort of just appeared or first happening. Um, And I think a big portion of that is, you know, one of the things I see most consistently is that when a child suddenly starts stuttering, it typically happens very quickly. It causes huge amounts of worry and stress for parents. And especially when we're looking at, you know, at the fact that this child is probably highly sensitive, if they are even in an environment where every time they speak, their parent is... (laughs) you know, taking a breath and looking tense and worried. And, you know, this is actually creating stress in that child because they have more active mirror neurons. They are really receptive to their caregiver's mood and their, um, you know, empathetic part of them is going to be really lit up with all of that. And so even if it's just soothing the parents' worry and giving them the knowledge that, hey, you can be empowered in this situation, it might resolve on its own, but let's give you the information and the tools to feel like you really have you know, as much power in this situation and as much knowledge and as much soothing as we can so that you're in the best place to guide your child through it. 100%. And it's like you mentioned before, right, when there's a child that's presenting as highly sensitive, that then increases the likelihood or that is very, it's very likely in that family that one or two of those parents are highly sensitive themselves. So I think their experience and how they're navigating this and responding to it is um equally important in, in terms of seeking support for themselves as, as well as for their child. So, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. And in, at the end of the day, for early childhood stuttering, it's it's a parent training approach that we take mm-hmm. anyway. So, you know, it doesn't matter um, how long a child has been stuttering for. If it's even the first day and that parent is worried, it's worth doing something about. Yeah. So when what about when parents start to feel like they're needing to seek some sort of support outside of the home what you know what can they be doing or what what should they be looking for in terms of finding the right support for their child if their child's highly sensitive yeah so that is a that is a challenge because um as i was saying before this isn't something that is widely taught um how to take this integrative approach and the fact that it is so linked with temperament Um, it's something that I now am teaching and supervising and mentoring other therapists to be able to understand. And um, I have a online membership program that I initially created for parents for this wait and see support and see period. And then to kind of guide them through, even if they are seeing a speech pathologist to give them the that sort of understanding of how to take that integrative and holistic approach, even if they're only doing that at home and the therapist is taking that traditional speech and language um, linguistic approach, because mm-hmm. we really do need both. Um, so that is typically what I'm, you know, finding is working best for families is to have that understanding themselves. And then regardless of who they're seeing, they're able to then incorporate that into what they're already doing because it isn't something that we're being taught as speech pathologists. Mm -hmm. Um, There is this big gap in this understanding and knowledge. And so um, typically if, you know, if you're finding, you know, Australian-based or even um, overseas-based speech pathologist, it's very unlikely they're going to know about this link. Right. Okay. Um, 
Animal parents can, of course, reach out to you to seek some further support around this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have um, my Fluency Foundations membership is designed for parents to be able to empower them with this information and understanding. So whether they are using just that information alone or whether they're using that while they're on a wait list or whether they're using that throughout therapy, um, that is really designed to help them to really fully embody and understand this integrative approach. Um, and then looking for therapists that are Lidcom trained would be, you know, the best, the next best option because Lidcom therapy is an Australian designed program. It is what I use with a few little tweaks um, just to make it more suitable for highly sensitive children and, you know, ensuring that we're coming at it from a very um, supportive um, perspective. Uh, but yeah, that would be the, the next best option would be, you know, to have a combination of this integrative support and understanding as well as um, a Lidcom trained therapist. Yeah. Okay. I know that listening to a podcast can really open like a can of worms, so to speak, for a lot of people. So if that's you as someone listening, I really encourage you to sort of follow that um, that urge to find out more and, and perhaps make contact with Lauren to ask questions or clarify anything that we've spoken about in the podcast and maybe discuss what your support options could look like with her. So on that note, Lauren, could you maybe share where listeners can find you online, like your website and your socials and all of that good stuff? Absolutely. So my social media is all under the name Stutter Free Kids. So Instagram is at Stutter Free Kids. Facebook, you'll find me also under Stutter Free Kids. And then my website is stutterfreekids.com. So it's all very simple. Um, And yes, absolutely love, you know, connecting with families who are experiencing high sensitivity and stuttering or their child has just started stuttering and they don't know what to do. It is, um, you know, constantly educating, advocating and sharing about this topic. And it's something I just, I love chatting to people in the DMs about. So yes, feel very welcome to reach out if this is something that is happening in your family because it's something that I talk about all day every day amazing and I'll put all the links to those socials and websites and things in the show notes of the podcast episode so that it's easy for people to find um but yeah thank you so much it's been super informative and um I'm sure lots of people are going to get heaps out of this episode so thank you again for joining us thanks so much for having me on it's been lovely to chat